Hi, this is Tim McFade. I'm the co-author of Odyssey, the definitive examination on music from the elder, and you're listening to Focus on Metal. Metalheads, uh, Scott here, Richie, and welcoming you to yet another edition of Focus on Metal. You guys enjoyed the uh, Little Mountain wrap-up last week with uh, Mike Frazier, so uh, very cool, yeah. finally. How 27 did... months. I was just going to ask you that. <laughs> you told me it took 27 months to run. Sometimes it felt like it. Because... Well, that's from when we started, yeah. which was in 2014, in September of 2014, to last week, so 27 months. The plan was to run one a month. Yeah. Didn't work. <laughs> <laughs> crazy, crazy. But uh, yeah, so anyways, hope you guys enjoyed that. And obviously all of it's up on the website as well. So uh, if you missed any, go back up there. They're, uh, they're all up on the homepage for uh, your listening pleasure. At least none of it was to do with new product, really. Yeah. So I, I know some of the guys were on promoting stuff, but a lot of it is from, you know, a lot of it is to do with albums that were recorded in the yeah. 80s and early 90s. Yeah. So, you know, you didn't... By us not running it, we didn't actually miss any nope. release dates or anything nope. like that. It just took a while to run. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, but uh, yeah, so finally wrapped up. But uh, then this week, uh, very interesting, a topic we don't ever tackle here. Kiss. Kiss. Well, a lot of other podcasts do it. They do, and they do it very well. They do. Yeah. I agree. Some, sometimes I look at them, some of them and, and like they can do a podcast on one song. Uh, yeah, yeah. Um, I can't remember off the top of my head now. I can't remember the name of the podcast, but they they did it. They do it on one song, and I'm like, how do you talk about one <laughs> song for forty five minutes? Yeah, I'm like, wow, <laughs> my mind just blows. <laughs> no, no, I I haven't listened to it, but I'm t- you know maybe I'll just go back and you know listen to it and see. But yeah, three guys talking about a Paul Stanley song from Love Gun or something. <laughs> I'm like, holy shit. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> oh, but they, yeah, they're right. There's a lot of them out there. A lot of them are. Uh, they do it quite well. They but, do. Uh, yeah. They know their stuff. Oh, yeah. Uh, yeah. You, you know, and like, you know, we're friends with uh, the Decibel Geek guys, and they do a great job. Like, they do they do a lot of Kiss stuff. They uh-huh. do a whole month in July of Kiss stuff. Yeah. And, and they do a great job, and they're still looking for Vinnie Vincent. Yeah. Like everybody else. Yeah. <laughs> and, um, but they, you know, they do a really good, they're the ones now that I know of that do a really good job. There, There is a lot of other ones out there. But yeah. The thing with me with cases, especially with people that do podcasts, like there's loads of them. You can't listen to all of them. You know, you got to yeah. kind of pick and choose. It's yeah. like, and it's like any podcast. But like, there's so many. All you have to do is mention Kiss, and you get a reaction. Yeah, they're the one band out there that you just get a reaction. Right. Yeah. More. You know, there's Metallica be another one. Iron Maiden might be another one. Yeah. But the thing with Iron Maiden is a lot of people will say Iron Maiden. You know, fantastic band. Yeah. You mentioned Kiss, Gene Paul, Ace, Peter, <laughs> nobody else worth the shit. Right? That's the reaction you normally get with Kiss. Yeah. It's either the four original members yeah. and it's like Tommy Taylor is an imposter. You know, he's he's impersonating the spaceman and all this crap. <laughs> and, but, you know, the, the, the band has a rabid following, the Kiss Army, and a lot of people are, you know, they're the in, they were the gate, way banned yeah. for so many people sure. into hard rock yeah. they weren't mine they were right. probably yours one of them yeah. yeah but 
More Aerosmith. Aerosmith. Aerosmith, <laughs> Aerosmith Kiss, 70s. Yeah. I, I didn't get into Kiss on, on, you know, we're talking here about, you know, we, we've Tim, Tim, on, Tim McFate on, yeah. on, on tonight's show. And <clears throat> he got into Kiss a little bit after I did. And I got into Kiss in 86 yeah. or 87. Yeah. So we, we, you know, we were going backwards here. Like my Kiss is Gene, Paul, Bruce Kulick uh-huh. and Eric Carr. Yeah. Right, and that, uh-huh. I love the non-makeup era more than the makeup era. Yeah. And that'll get a reaction. Yeah, that's a lot of people that, yeah, that are <laughs> in that. Yeah, but yeah, so like you said, we got uh, Tim McFate. Um, and uh, he did Odyssey, the definitive examination of music from the elder. Kiss's cult classic concept album. Yeah, so you have this year, you've got uh, the book on Destroyer. Uh, yeah, that was pretty good. Uh, yeah, good is it Ken Sharp did that? or No, he did the... Um, Nothing to lose, isn't he? He did the. I think that's there's a tonic. Right. There's loads yeah. of Kiss books out there, but um, yeah, Tim did this one, and uh, it's 500 pages yeah, on the Elder. Twice the size of the Destroyer book. Yeah, and I I really really enjoyed it. Um, there's a lot in it. Yeah. Uh, there's a lot of interviews. Some of the some of the people interviewed in this, I was head head scratcher to me. I was like, how the hell did he find these guys? Like yeah. The guy the guy designed the door for the album cover right. is interviewed. Yeah. Right. <laughs> so that'll tell you like how, how big a fan this guy was and how the lengths he went to the track yeah. some some of these guys down and he talks about all of that but that album I don't spin it that often when I do spin it um, there are certain songs on it I love uh-huh. um, as a concept it doesn't do anything for me yeah. because the track listing was changed and then when they re- when they brought out the vinyl and then when they brought out the remastered CD, they put the original track listing on it. But it still doesn't, to me, it doesn't have a concept at all. Like a concept to me is Operation Mindcrime. Mm-hmm. It's got the spoken word. It's got everything all glued together yeah. into a cohesive piece of music. Um, that just doesn't have it at all. Right. Yeah. But it's got some great tracks. I like Dark Light. I like Mr. Blackwell. Some of it, you know, I could do it. I love <laughs> I is a great song. Yeah. Um, Odyssey is like, Holy shit! <laughs> What's going on here? Um, I can I I can imagine now being a Kiss fan when you know you had Unmasked and you had Dynasty wasn't as discoy. Unmasked definitely was, and then they come out with this. Now, if you're a Kiss fan, that's a frisbee. Yeah, you're well, just throwing it across the room, like trying to Tim, smash I mean, it. I, you know, you kind of went through 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 Dynasty, and then you go through the whole cartoon thing with with Unmasked, and you're like, what the hell are they doing? Um, and, and then like, I just kind of, that was it. I was done. And then just, you know, just working at the radio station and finding this in the stacks and being like, the hell did this thing come out? And, uh, I think I played like, I think the first two tracks, like, well, you know, there was the whole fanfare thing. I'm like, oh, what the hell? And I didn't get very far in it. And I was like, all right, this is still like going nowhere. I almost had the same feeling when Nostradamus came out, like, what the hell are they doing? Only this was worse. Yeah, the, the <sighs> one thing I did enjoy about the book, um, when you look at the, when you compare that to the other book on Destroyer, Destroyer has been talked about forever. Yeah, as being the definitive Kiss album. Sure, there's been, you know, there's probably been other books on it. There's been magazine articles on it, um, and it's probably been talked about for years and years and years and years. Yeah, as being probably the best Kiss album or up there. Yeah, I don't know if it's the best, right. but yeah. Okay, so you've you have all this material on that, and then when it comes to the elder, it's like one line or two lines, shit, <laughs> and that's it. Yeah, and 
I think what Tim tried to do here, and he does it really well, is he sets the story behind the album yeah. and the environment that that was recorded in. And you, after reading the book, you, you, I'm not saying you're going to put the album on and think it's a masterpiece, but you might understand more of the of the why why it was recorded this way yeah. and why they went in that direction. Um, another thing, what I find about Kiss, um, they're very self-critical of their own uh, material. So I, I think if, if if you read Paul and Gene say, like, say Revenge, they give it five stars and they give Destroyer five stars, you might be more influenced to think, yeah, they're great albums. And then when Gene and Paul come out and, and, and Ace say that, oh, The Elder is a piece of crap, you're going to go along with them and think, yeah, it is a piece of crap. But you know, spin it again. I'm not, I'm not saying you're going to love it, but I actually put it on uh, the other day after I spoke to Tim. I enjoyed it. I didn't enjoy all of it. Yeah. It's got some great stuff on it, but um, I don't think it's crap. I don't. I, I'm not saying it's age great, um, but it's not the Kiss album that I reach for. Uh-huh. Um, you, you have to be in a certain mood, I think, to listen to it. And uh, again, if we, if it didn't have the Kiss as the name on it, I'm not sure I might listen to it as often, but I, li- I like some of it. Yeah. I do, I like some of it. But the book's great. I, I really enjoyed the book. I, I mean, it's, it's huge. It's like, wow. Yeah, it's a labor of love for the guy. Like, <laughs> yeah. I, the thing I, I was surprised about when we spoke to him was I expected him Tim to say, yeah, I got into Kiss, Love Gone or Destroyer, and then I got that album and I didn't like it. And I'm thinking, wow, this guy is a Kiss fan because what's the, the Kiss book he does is on The Elder and he, the, his first Kiss album was Hot in the Shade. Yeah. I'm thinking, that's balls now to go back <laughs> and do something like that. Yeah. Because he actually didn't live through it the first time. Yeah. And that's, you know, you've got to appreciate the guy for actually doing it. Um, you know, it's, it's a big book. But yeah. um, it's 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 a good read. Yeah, it's a good read. It's got a lot of really good interviews in it. It's got some new interviews with Bob Ezrin. Um, it breaks down the videos that they recorded. I that's never been released. Yeah, they talk to the people who recorded all that stuff, and um, it's got some record executive people in it. Um, that World of Heroes video is horrible. Oh yeah, well a lot of the, st- the visual stuff around the album was horrible. There's no picture of the band. You know what it looked? It album. reminded me of when I saw it on Kissology. You know, it reminded me of like um, sometimes you see like on a like a those old BBC shows. The bands in there, they're 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 miming, and there's some kind of ridiculous props that are around them and stuff. And that's what it reminded me of. Was like, is this like some like bad BBC show? They just mime these lyrics to like, what the hell's going on with this thing and all the pastel crap and like what? Yeah, it's a horrible video. I'm surprised that <laughs> um, the i video has never been released. You think Gene now? With all the kissologies that have been out, he would have banged it on the. Uh, is the second one? Is the first one goes up to seventy nine yeah, or be something? Yeah, the second one. Yeah. And, yeah, you think he would have put it on the second one because if they keep tro- trolling through all these vaults, yeah, that's one of the things that the fans would want to see. Is you know they made a video for the song. Yes, if they had told Gene that he would have made a few more dollars, but <laughs> it, it would have been on. Yeah, you think he needs the money? <laughs> well, he says you can never have enough. So. But um. Every so often they they might pull out a track or two and play it. I think on the Kiss Cruise they've done, they've pulled out a couple of them and played them unplugged. Mm. I think a lot of fans actually probably annoy him <laughs> to actually you know try and play a couple of the tracks. Yeah. Um. You'll ne- they'll they'll never play any of them on their arena shows. So forget it. 
Well, no, because it doesn't. It's not. It hasn't been on the set list for twenty years. Yeah, and Kiss have only got four albums anyway. The first four, <laughs> and Creatures of the Night. If you look at the current set list, what else is right? Yeah, <sighs> yeah. It's, it's just, I, I think they should when they when they made you know when they talk about the album now, they don't own it. Yeah, you know it, it's. We've had people on the show before, and. You know, they'll blame everybody else about yeah. the album. And I'm like, you made the album, own it. Yeah. Well, the thing, you know, what's interesting, though, is, I don't know, not to defend them or anything, but they're in an interesting position because, I mean, how many bands are really asked to own everything, right? I'm So, like, done with Mirrors, right? Kind of the Aerosmith coming back. I like that Kind album. of a, you know, but overall, in their catalog, kind of a lackluster album. But nobody asked them to own that you know what i mean no one goes back and is like how can we never play anything off of done with mirrors or you know what i mean it, it's kind of like uh, kiss gets stuck in this unique position and maybe it's because the rabid hey, fan hey, base done with mirrors is better than just push play yes <laughs> <laughs> yes definitely yeah, a lot of other ones too but yeah yeah it is um i Probably some of the songs on Draw the Line aren't great. Oh, we're not going to go down an era. No, 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 no. Draw the Line is... Nah, not all of it. That is an awesome album. Not all of it. That is, that is an awesome <laughs> Considering the shape they were in, up in the cynical, making that album, the album's a masterpiece. I actually love the one after. Night in the Roots is brilliant. It is, yeah. Um, even though Joe's really not on it. Kind of like Creatures. But, um, no, I really... Draw the Line... Again, considering the shape they were in and all the crap that went down when they were recording that, that album's got a lot of groove in it. Mm. And, uh, I mean, songs like Bright Light Fright, they'll just pop, that just pops into my head all the time. Yeah, like, That's a great song. And What's your take on them now next year? They've announced this, like, Arriva Dirty kind of farewell tour. Is this going to be a Scorpions farewell tour? Do you think they're going to be... Do you think they're going to be done? Yeah. I I think they are as well. I think... The difference yeah. is, is, is Klaus isn't making country albums and, and, and working on brand Klaus. Yeah. <laughs> right? Doing, what, what was Tyler on X Factor, The Voice? Or what yeah, he, one yeah. of those things too. Yeah, I mean, he, he, they don't have, you know, I mean, if you use Scorpions as a thing, you know, Klaus isn't doing that. No one else in the band is doing that, right? So I think that, um, yeah, I mean, if it depends on still having Steven out there fronting the band, then, yeah, they're... They're kind of stuck with whatever he wants to do. I, I mean, I don't know. I think they're probably getting sick of him at this point, too, again. Like, really? Like, we've all worked together. We've come back. We've done all this. And now you're off kind of doing your own thing again. And Well, you look at the other guys. Tom Hamilton went and played with Tin Lizzy. Uh, Brad Whitford did Whitford St. Holmes. Joe Perry's doing solo stuff. Mm -hmm. And uh, Joey is doing, well, he's got his coffee brand. And yeah. Has he, he ever done a solo album? He's no, never never no. done one. And he's got his rock and a roasting restaurant in North Attleboro. That's right. Yeah, he's got a restaurant. So they're all reasonably busy. And what are they, mid, mid to late 60s now, some of them? Something like that, yeah. And Tom Hamilton's had a few health scares. So. Yeah, yeah. But again, I mean, if they hadn't, uh, they could easily go back and get somebody. And Joe's doing Hollywood Vampires with Alice Cooper sure. and Johnny yeah. Depp. And Probably because he wants to get out and play. Yeah. Right. Yeah. But but and and I know Brad's into a lot of racing stuff as well and but really I mean if they got another singer right if they if they got a, a Miles Kennedy or somebody else like that and it was into the writing and everything I could just see getting that groove back and and 
sure they can still write some great hard rock albums. Do you still think they get a trill going up on stage after all these years? Or yeah, is it I think just so. a job for them? No, I think they do. You think all of them do? Yeah, actually I do. Yeah? Yeah. Yeah. This is going to be the only chance. I've never seen them live. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> so this is it for me if... Uh, if they come over here, the tickets in well, if Dub- they do the if they do the normal sets, you'll have a couple of bathroom songs, not just the one. ticket. The tickets in Dublin <laughs> are around a hundred euro. That's the standard ticket. So yeah. you're looking that's hundred twenty dollars. Yeah, that's a fair chunk of fucking change sure. to see Aerosmith. Yeah, um, I think this farewell thing is. Uh, I hope I think it's the right time for them to do it. I hate when bands do it. To put up the ticket price and to sell tickets. Mm-hmm. It's disingenuous. I fucking hate when they do it. But then part of me thinks when you see them that if they can still bring it, it's you don't want them to go because I think you've grown up with all these bands. And, you know, it's kind of an end to part of your life when, sure. when they decide to go. Yeah. But then, you know, part of me thinks, yeah, just go. And then another part of me thinks, no, don't. I'll, and then you end up paying the money and then... Like, I've been suckered in again. They've, uh, I mean, I've seen them a lot, and I've never seen them, well, no, when they were, like, really screwed up. Yeah, they had bad nights. Um, But, you know, since then, you know, over the last couple years, I've never seen them phone one in. They they come out, and they just, they bring it. Yeah, I believe they're still fantastic. Even when, um, even when uh, uh, Tom was unable to, to play that, you know, that tour, um, they were still, you know, still brought it. It was, yeah. It's always, it's always been like that. Yeah, well, you think a lot of it is autopilot for them. Like, they've been playing the songs for so long. It's keeping, they switch it up, though. It's keeping fit yeah. for these guys now. and Because uh, it's a high-energy show for, for a lot of those guys now. Like, Joey's had his share of um, injuries, isn't he, over the years? Yeah, yeah. And, yeah, I mean, it's high-energy for him. But, you know, Brad's kind of laid back, and he just kind of he's in his little spot over there, and, you know... And and Tom just kind of does his normal strutting back and forth thing. And Stephen is all over the he's stage. He's all over the place, and, and Joe's all over the place. Yeah, yeah, and that's that's bound to take a toll night after night after night on you know because they're yeah they're old yeah there's no word two ways <laughs> about it they're old men. So yeah, just kiss to Aerosmith. Yeah, we're going to talk about Journey now. <laughs> no, no, we're not going to talk about Journey. Yeah, so I think you know, do the I think Aerosmith are going to finish. Yeah. But uh, let's swing back to Kiss. And, and again, like I said, we have uh, this, our guest this week, Tim McFate, uh, author of this big, long title book, Odyssey, The Definitive Examination of Music from the Elder. So, uh, again, like Richie said, about 500 pages, things like an encyclopedia. But uh, what do you say we roll our uh, interview with Tim? Sure. Hi, Tim speaking. Hi, Tim. It's Richie from Focus on Metal. How are you? Hey, Richie. How are you today? I'm good. Nice to finally talk to you. Yeah, absolutely. It's great to connect with you. I know we've kind of gone, uh, um, you know, back and forth, but uh, glad we could finally do it. Yeah, I'm here with uh, my co-host, Scott. Hey, Tim. How are we doing, man? Hey, Scott. How are you? All right. Yeah, you guys are both in uh, Boston, right? Yeah, just about 30 miles outside of Boston, yep. Yeah, so I'm out here in L.A., so it's a nice 65-degree December day. How's the weather out there? Uh, not freezing. <laughs> That's a positive, right? <laughs> it's cold, though. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> and it's going to get colder. <laughs> yeah, no kidding, right? Yeah. So I have to say I've been really looking forward to this. I've read the book. I love the book. I have to say, first of all, that I got into Kiss around 86, 
Um, okay. uh, right, so I was born in 71, so when The Elder came out, I was like 10. Uh, so yeah. I, I'm actually a bigger fan of the non-makeup era of Kiss than I am the makeup era. So all of this stuff, wow. is all, all of this stuff is all revisionist stuff for me. Because when I got into the band, my first Kiss record, the new record was Crazy Nights. <laughs> sure. Okay. And uh, so then, of course, I had to go back. So all, there's a lot of stuff in this that was like, wow. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. I was going to say, it's just, you know, your story kind of reminds me of my own. I'm uh, I'm also an 80s era uh, fan. I'm, uh, I think my first Kiss album was Hot in the Shade. I got into the band right around 88 when the Smashes, Thrashes, and, and Hits compilation was released. And so, you know, getting into the band around that time, it was like, you know, they had like new albums, but they had all this, this back catalog that you had to go and kind of discover. So... Um, that's kind of, you know, similar to my story and, you know, getting into the band in the eighties and, and liking the, that era. I mean, I love that era of Kiss. Um, one of my favorite albums is Lick It Up. You know, I love Vinnie, the Vinnie Vincent contributions, but, uh, you know, also had to kind of go back and wow, this, you know, Kiss started in 1974 and has all these other records with makeup and all that stuff. So, yeah. Yeah, and see, I'm just the opposite. So I, I'm old school and got in with the first albums, and uh, sure, you know, pretty much when it got to Unmask, I was like, all right, I'm you're I'm tuning done. out. <laughs> and I really, honestly, I didn't even know that the Elder was out until um, I was working wow. uh, on uh, regular terrestrial radio and just happened to see it in the re- record stacks, and I was like, the hell is this wow. music from the Elder deal? And that's how it even yeah. came on my radar, because, you know, like I said, after Unmask came out, I was like, all right, this is just going down a path I'm not dealing with anymore. Sure. Well, that's a simple story. I mean, I, you know, being online and, uh, you know, with the Kiss fan community, a lot of, I think, fans had similar thoughts. I mean, and it's interesting, interesting that you, you know, grew up and, and you probably saw the Elder album cover. It's like, what the hell is this? Yeah. You know, it's yeah. like the most strange album cover in the in the band's history, I think, bar none. You know? Yeah, definitely. And, and you open up the gatefold and there's like really not much there either and it's like did they do a movie like what what the hell is this yeah Yeah. it's it's very odd um you know which you know again for me and in diving back into the band's history you know i got all the the kiss catalog on cd uh around i think it was like i said 89 and uh, i remember like getting hotter than hell live the solo albums etc and then nestled in within that bunch was like this brown album and it had a hand on it and I, you know, it seemed very strange and odd, but I remember putting it on for whatever reason. It, it, it I, you know, I latched onto it. I, I really liked, uh, you know, uh, the songs, and I could tell that there was a storyline. Although on that particular version of the CD, the track order was jumbled from the original intended sequence, but um, you know, something about it spoke to me, and I've I've just been a fan ever since. And it's, you know, the it lay, it was the seeds that obviously were planted a long time ago, and then you know fast forward all these years and you know really wanting to put this album in the spotlight and you know that's how the kind of the book came about yeah now one of the things you said in the introduction in the book was uh with the kiss faq series you did some interviews and then you went hang on a second let's not do a chapter in the book and then do, yeah. do a book a separate book what what interview actually pushed it that way was there one in particular yeah absolutely uh yeah around 2012 i was the news administrator for kiss faq uh, working with Julian Gill, uh, it's a wonderful site that's dedicated to preserving the band's history. Um, there's a lot of great information there, and I was doing interviews for the site. And I remember reading an interview with Dennis uh, Wallach, who was the longtime art director for the band, and he kind of went through his favorite uh, Kiss albums that he worked on, and he mentioned something a little bit about the Elder, but not a lot. And again, that the, the album has always fascinated me, particularly from the packaging standpoint. 
I mean, there's just not much there in terms of a traditional Kiss album. So actually, I reached out to Dennis. It was like the uh, summer of 2012, and he got right back to me, and, and we did an interview, all elder-specific, just a complete rundown on the direction of the uh, the album art for that album and what the thinking was, et cetera. And it was a wonderful discussion. It's all in the book, obviously. And through that, he actually uh, gave me a referral to the gentleman who built the door prop for the album. That uh, The album cover is actually a door, a door prop. So the gentleman's name was Bill Finneran. And, you know, I'm an avid Googler. So right after that, I started Googling and, you know, I found a few Bill Finnerans. And for whatever reason, I think I found something on a class reunion site and I remember sending an email to this, you know, gentleman, Bill Finneran, who I didn't know. And he, like, responded to me, I think it was two hours later, and said he'd love to, to do an interview, and he'd never talked about it. So it was really the Dennis Wallach interview that spurred uh, the idea of doing something elder-specific. And then when we got Bill Finneran, I remember going to Julian and saying, you know, Julian, this is great. Let's, you know, continue this and, and do, um, you know, a series of content for the site. Uh, and let's see how many people we can we can talk to just specifically about the elder. So it kind of really materialized into an elder specific uh, feature at the time. Yeah, when when you got when I read the book and I saw Bill Finner and the guy who designed the door, I went, "Wow, this guy writing the book really is a fan." And I was thinking, "Wow, is this overload or or what?" You know? Yeah, we well, yeah, well, we we kind of wanted to do that to be honest with you, Richie. I mean, we really wanted this album to have such the, the time in the spotlight, so it meant. Let's get in touch with the people that worked on the album. You know, if it meant the per person who made the door prop, you know, yeah, that's that's minutia. But a lot of Kiss fans, there's a lot of different types of Kiss fans out there, and uh, you know, but a lot of them do love the minutia, and I'm, you know, I'm one included in that. Obviously, or I wouldn't have been part of the book. So that was definitely by design to get um, you know anyone and everyone that we could. Yeah. Did you even attempt to try and get Gene, Paul, or, or Ace on board at all? Did, yeah. Did you try? Yeah. You know, Julie and I talked about that, and we did try. Um, you know, we uh, sent notes to the KISS office, and, uh, you know, I don't believe that we got a response, you know, formally. Um, but to be very candid, and I say this with all due respect uh, to the band, you know, uh, while we would have loved to have them, you know, with Paul and Gene, and especially in recent years, when they're asked about the Elder, it's kind of the, the, the old cookie-cutter response. You know, it's a great album, but it's not a great Kiss album, is I think, you know, what Paul usually says. So we would have loved to have spoken with them, but, you know, I just don't know that they would have been able to go on record or, or been willing to kind of go deep on this album. Uh, maybe Gene. You know, Gene, for whatever reason, I get the sense that Gene really is kind of proud of this album. But, uh, you know, whether or not that they would kind of go long and give us the details that we would be searching for, I, I yeah. Part of me is very skeptical about that. You think about it, some of the songs on The Elder, they do, they have kind of a similar kind of style to some of the things he had on his solo album, too. So maybe he's got a little bit of a thing because of that. Yeah, no, that's a great point. Uh, you know, something like A World Without Heroes, you know, uh, which is a very much a departure for Gene Simmons, uh, very much could have been at home, I think, on the 78 solo album, you know, with some of the eclectic stuff that Gene put on that album. So that's a very good point. I, I, I very much agree. Yeah, one of the things I really enjoyed about the book is that you set the scene for the industry as a whole 
um, that like Bob Ezrin was coming off the wall with Pink Floyd and mm-hmm. there was the relationship with the late, with Casablanca and then Phonogram and uh, you, you really did well in setting the big picture there and trying to explain why the album came out the way it did. Yeah, that was a very important part for us uh, uh, to include in the book uh, is the story, you know, with the label. We spoke to a few of the label professionals. Some of the better interviews, actually, I think, in the book are, are the people who, um, you know, were working at the label. And it was a complicated time. Um, you know, uh, KISS, if we can go back to 79, you know, we're talking about KISS having a huge single worldwide with I Was Made For Loving You. And um, uh, with Unmasked, the next, the next album, I think there was a, a hope from the label side that they could repeat that success. Um, and I think they kind of fell up, fell short. You know, the Unmasked album didn't perform as well, and the single, you know, Shandy, I think, was the uh, the more well-known single from that album that didn't really perform. So you fast forward to after the Unmasked, and you, you uh, the label has delivered an album like The Elder. You know, it just resulted in, in a lot of confusion because... You know, in those days, uh, you know, a band kind of retreated and, and, you know, started, you know, they were working on the album and there wasn't really a lot of contact um, uh, between the label and the band. So uh, uh, Bob and, and Kiss kind of kept, kept things under wraps. And I think that obviously contributed to uh, just the, the the huge confusion when uh, the label professionals heard what what album Kiss had produced with Bob Ezrin. They were just befuddled beyond belief. And... It's interesting, in one of our interviews with Chip Taylor, who is a Hall of Fame songwriter, wrote you know the song Wild Thing. He was actually um, the head of A&R for uh, Polygram at the time. The expectation at the label was that Kiss was going to deliver the rock album of the year. You know, they were teaming again with Bob Ezrin, who, you know, produced Destroyer, you know, five years previous. So there really was the thought that Kiss was going to deliver a home run of a hard rock album, you know, something more in the traditional hard rock vein uh, after, you know, skewing slightly pop, obviously, with Dynasty Unmasked. And again, what they delivered was anything but, <laughs> you know? Yeah, can I, one of the things that, that I really enjoyed about the book was uh, it was definitely the marketing and guys, the interviews you did with the marketing guys, um, they all scratched their head. They just hadn't hadn't a clue what to do with the, with the album when it came out at all. Yeah, exactly. Uh, you know, a Kiss and a concept album, it was, uh, it's, it's, I think at the, even more so at the time, it just, that idea on paper just, I guess, seemed ludicrous. And there was the question of how are we going to promote this? You know, Kiss is just coming off Dynasty and a Mass, and here's a concept album. How exactly are they going to go to the masses and promote this? Um, so, you know, people were scurrying around. Um, you know, what single are they going to lead with? There was a lot of talk about what is the song that's going to represent this? And um, Chip Taylor actually, I think, decided uh, it was his actual, you know, insight. He's like, I think A World Without Heroes is probably the track that we want to lead with. And you know, one of the other interviews is with Jerry Jaffe, who was the head of rock promotion at Polygram. And in his opinion, that was the the worst song they could have picked because <laughs> a lead single, you know, a Gene Simmons soft ballad as your lead single for the new Kiss album. I mean, <laughs> you know, what are we on Mars? <laughs> yeah. Now, the other thing that I really enjoyed about it is you actually got to speak with the... Uh with some of the actors who did the spoken word passages that, that were even left off of the album. Now, when it, I remember hearing the album years ago, and one, the, the, the track listing was jumbled, so it was confusing enough anyway, and there was no lyrics, and, you know, the spoken word stuff probably would have glued it all together, and it was great to see that they actually recorded all the stuff, but it was just all left off the album. 
Yeah, that was one of the mysteries going in. Is there's always uh, 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 one of the underlying parts of the elder is that there was some spoken word recorded. So we really tried to uncover as much information as we could about it, and we um, we were able to find out and confirm that the band actually or excuse me, um, Bob Ezrin actually did record spoken word dialogue. He contracted the services of three Canadian actors. One of them was Christopher Makepeace, who was a popular kind of child actor at the time. Um, he did uh, movies like Meatballs and My Bodyguard. And two of the other guys were uh, a little bit older and more schooled in uh, Canadian theater. But anyway, Bob brought these three actors into the studio. There was a script that they all read from, and they recorded the dialogue with the intention. The intention of the dialogue was to thread it between the songs and kind of help illuminate the underlying concept of the album. So the dialogue was recorded, and if you listen to the album, um, uh, at the end of the album, after the track I, there's one snippet of dialogue that has survived on the album, um, and that's... Uh, is the only spoken word part that's on the album. As to what happened to the rest of it, you know, we asked, we asked that question to various stakeholders and, you know, got a variety of answers. Uh, we weren't able to uncover 100% what happened to that dialogue, so it's kind of one little nugget that's kind of still hanging out there, although, you know, I certainly have my theories. But, um, you know, the bottom line is that there was some intention to have some spoken word dialogue, and... Um, it wasn't included, so as a result, you know, one could argue that the elders kind of half cooked. It was, you know, uh, thought of as one way, and then you know, the end result did not include uh, all the ingredients. Yeah, well, I think jumbling up the the track listing definitely didn't help because if you want to have any flow at all, you don't want to yeah. change the track listing around. And the album's only like 40 minutes long as well. It's very difficult to get a concept over in, in, in 40 minutes. Yeah, you know, I, I agree, uh, although I can see the point of the label, uh, you know, in this case, you know, uh, the the intended song to start off the album is, is uh, Fanfare, which is like an, a minute long of, uh, it's kind of like an orchestral theme. Um, and, you know... Kiss fans who are uh, who take notice of these things. The main theme in um, uh, Fanfare is also reprised in Just a Boy and in a couple other parts throughout the album. So it's kind of a theme that kind of threads throughout the album. Um, but opening an album with you know an orchestral theme on you know for Kiss again seems such like a foreign concept. So uh, it was decided to jumble the track order. And as a result, you had The Oath, which is, you know, I think one of the more heavier tracks on the album. The Oath was uh, jumbled to be the, the first track on side A, and I believe A World Without Heroes, which again is the lead single that was uh, put on to lead off side B. So I, I agree, you know, jumbling around the track order really didn't help uh, because, again, they were trying to present a story. Um, Although I don't know, <laughs> it, it remains to be seen if the Kiss fans were actually paying attention to the story anyway. So. <laughs> yeah, and normally Kiss, when they do something, they overdo it. But as you said yourself, it's like this is undercooked, which is unusual for them. Yeah, I, you know, I, there's a special feature in the book, kind of, you know, uh, and I, I wrote it. It's called 10 Reasons Why the Elder Was Dead on Arrival. And, you know, that's one of my arguments. Again, if you're going to, uh, you know, uh, theorize and come up with a concept for a concept album, and, uh, again, one of the elements is going to be spoken word dialogue, you know, put all your chips on the table, you know, go all in. I think at that point, and, you know, this is just my opinion, uh, KISS uh, had political capital. Uh, they were one of the biggest artists on the roster. They had just secured a, a new record contract. You have Bob Ezrin, one of the more esteemed producers coming off the wall. 
uh, and a lot of great successful albums in the seventies. I, I just don't see how they could not have fought and said and stood their ground and said this, the dialogue stays. That's my take. Um, and I, I, you know, at the end of the day, uh, you know, I think the label uh, were making requests to try and salvage this album and 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 make it more Kiss-like. So I think it was the label that ultimately um, had the thought: look. Let's take the dialogue off. Things are getting already a little too weird. You know, let's take the dialogue away from this. So I think that was probably one of the concessions that was made. Again, kind of my theory in talking to a lot of the, the parties in the book and, and doing the research. Yeah. Now, of course, the band shot a couple of videos for it. And <laughs> I believe the, is it the video for I has never been seen. I'm sure that's a, you know, there's been all these Kissologies have been brought out and it hasn't been on any of those. I'm sure that's like the holy grail for a lot of Kiss fans. Yeah, it is. Um, um, yeah, the band went in and did uh, two videos for um, I and A World Without Heroes. Uh, they were directed by Bruce Gowers in a fun bit of trivia. Uh, we did an interview with Bruce in the book. Bruce is the one who directed the Bohemian Rhapsody video for Queen. So um, it's a, a neat little bit of, of information. Um, yeah, the band filmed those videos in New York, and A World Without Heroes, of course, we've all seen. Um, I don't believe it was played on MTV at the time. Uh, uh, Polygram was one of the labels that had some some issues with MTV. There was, you know, MTV was new in 1981. There was some talk about whether or not labels should just hand over music videos for free. Um, and I think MTV's argument was, of course you should, you know, we're promoting your artists and, you know, you're going to help record sales. Uh, but uh, I think Polygram and MTV were uh, at odds early on. So I don't believe A World Without a Hero is originally got played uh, on MTV. And as you said, Richie, uh, I was never released um, Funny enough, um, uh, that uh, the video for I actually came up on eBay a few months back. Um, the actual video, uh, it's like the only tape known to be in existence of the video, or supposedly in, in existence. And Julian Gill, my co-author, actually uh, is now in possession of that particular video. So it is definitely a holy grail of sorts if people go to our YouTube channel, you can kind of see snippets of that video. Um, you know, whether or not Julian's going to release that publicly, you know, I, I'm not really sure, but um, Julie it, def, Julian is definitely in possession of it. Was it expensive? Uh, you know, I think the price tag was pretty hefty. <laughs> wow. Uh, we, he didn't tell me. Uh, there was a price on the, I think it was a Buy It Now uh, auction, and uh, I think there was a, a deal cut. Um, so I, I'm not sure of the final price tag, but um, it, I'm sure it wasn't cheap. <laughs> yeah, that, that, that must be like a pay and hope thing because you don't know what you're going to get. <laughs> yeah, uh, absolutely. Um, you know, he like I said, he shared some snippets on the YouTube channel so you can kind of see a little bit of it. Um, uh, that's an interesting video, you know, and talking to uh, some of the people who worked on it. Um, they tried to create um, a set. You know, World Without Heroes, if you've seen that video, it's very black and white. It's very stark. Um the iVideo actually had a backdrop that was created. Uh, it was actually um, uh, a technique called, uh, uh, it was a matte piece of glass that was designed. That's what they did for videos. They kind of built, built backdrops by doing matte uh, glass pieces. Um, so it was designed to kind of look uh, similar to the Fortress of Solitude. So if 
you see some of the video excerpts or if you see any photos from the iVideo shoot, you'll see something in the background that almost looks like the Superman Fortress of Solitude. So um, it's definitely, um, again, I've only seen the excerpts. Um, you know, I'd love to see it someday. Um, but uh, it's one of those things as to why the video was never released during the time. Um, various parties in the book, uh, I think their thought was by the time The World Without Heroes hit, and disappeared from the charts. We're talking it's early 1982. So I think the thinking was to cut the losses and move on. Um, and, you know, I was left in the can for, you know, for, forever, I guess. <laughs> yeah. The other, the other interview in the book I really enjoyed was uh, Chuck Klosterman. Uh, how did you know he was a massive fan of that album? Yeah, well, uh, yeah, that was a little bit off the wall. I, just doing research, I know Chuck is a huge Kiss fan. He's a huge Vinnie Vincent Invasion fan. Like, I think Chuck thinks the first Vinnie Vincent Invasion album is one of the best metal albums of all time. So, you know, wow, <laughs> yeah, exactly. People will react to that how they react to that. But uh, I, I um, like, Tim, I like the second Vinnie Vincent album a lot. But, but hey, yeah. I'm in your I'm in your book. I, I love the Invasion. I think All Systems Go is by far the superior album. I love yeah. that album. So yeah, I, yeah. Um, I could talk about Vinnie Vincent all day, but. Um, uh, Chuck Klosterman, you know, just in doing some research, he's a, he's a big Kiss fan, and I just remember reading a piece with him, and, and he was a big Elder fan. Um, you know, they, he mentioned something about the album fascinating him, and that he was hooked the first time he heard it. So just kind of on a lark, uh, we got in touch with Chuck Klosterman's camp, and sooner, you know, Sooner or later, I, I was emailing Chuck back and forth, and I, I said, Chuck, would you like to do an interview about The Elder? And he was totally into it. And, you know, um, and we got that, you know, interview presented, obviously, in the book. And it's just kind of going deep on the album with um, someone who is obviously a big fan. And, you know, he's a best-selling author. So uh, it was interesting to get his perspective uh, on the album and you know he tries to go into the the psychology of what gene and paul you know think about the album so parts of it are quite humorous um so um yeah that was just kind of one of the uh, you know i look at that at icing on the cake you know chuck obviously wasn't involved in the uh in working on the album but i think adding perspectives like that really helped kind of paint the overall picture of the album yeah, now you're in touch with a lot of Kiss fans. Um, how do you think the album has aged overall with them? Do you do, do you do you get the impression that a lot of them still think it's a turkey, or have they actually yeah. revised their opinion on it? Yeah, that's a that's a tough question. Um, you know, I honestly think that uh, in being in touch with the Kiss fan community, there are fans who really love the album and just think it's amazing. I've seen Kiss fans say it's better than the Wall. You know. <laughs> stuff like that and uh, um, and there are fans who just don't want to hear anything about it they think it's uh, like you said a turkey it's terrible it's ridiculous etc um, I don't know that I've seen a lot of people who are really you know in the middle and kind of indifferent so I think it really revolves around those two camps uh, as far as how the album is aged I really think that with the passage of time we're talking about 35 years here and uh, you know, given that the, the internet has made us all closer, I think what elder fans have realized is that there are a lot more people who who do love the album. You know, it's not just you know the one of the biggest commercial failures in the band's history. So, and if you like the album, you're like one of the only people who bought it. There are there's a segment of diehard fans who really do love the album, and um, really think it's a worthy addition to the Kiss catalog. So I think if anything, what the passage of time has allowed is allowed, you know, the kind of community to kind of band together and, you know, kind of celebrate the album. Um, 
At least that's my two cents on it. Yeah, yeah. Do, do you get the impression that um, Bob Ezrin is sick and tired of apologising for Gene <laughs> and Paul about why the album came out the way it did? Yeah, well, I don't know. That's a, that's tough to answer that one for Bob. Um, you know, I, I can only say this uh, with, with Bob and uh, the book, uh, we were really excited to have him be part of it. You know, he kind of wrote an open letter. Um, with that was, his... Actually, the letter was really good. I thought it was really good yeah. addition to the book. Absolutely. And, you know, his, his kind of modern day take on the album and, and what Bob did, Bob actually listened to the album uh, for the first time. I don't, you know, producers, <laughs> whether or not producers actually sit around and listen to their own work, I, I really doubt it, especially someone like Bob Ezrin, whose catalog is immense um, and very decorated. So uh, the chances of him listening to The Elder are, you know, very, you know, very remote. So he actually listened to the record. And I think as people will read in the letter that he provides in the book, he was actually pleasantly surprised uh, at what he heard. Um, you know, musically speaking, uh, there was a lot of work that went into the album. I mean, you have not only Paul, Gene, Ace, and Eric Carr, you know, kind of in the, arguably in the prime of their careers. They're all kind of like in their early 30s. Um, I think Paul might have been 29. But you have Bob Ezrin. You have people like Lou Reed contributing. You have... Michael Kamen, who, uh, who is uh, conducting the um, American Symphony Orchestra. You have Tony Powers, who co-wrote two songs. Tony Powers is actually a Brill Building alumni, alumni songwriter. So you have this whole confluence of talent. So I think Bob was pleasantly surprised uh, by the tracks. And, you know, one of his reactions, I think, after listening to uh, A World Without Heroes and uh, a track like, like Mr. Blackwell, he was like, wow, these tracks are fantastic. So I thought that was really interesting, you know, uh, you know, a lot about the album, I, you know, for people like Bob Ezrin and, and Gene and Paul, they kind of just pick up and move on. And, you know, you're left with kind of like the memory, which I think is a bad taste. You know, the, I think the album is a bad taste in Paul and Gene's mouths. But um, for, for Bob to be able to listen to it and um, actually, you know, hear the tracks, um, I think... You know, the fact that he was, wow, this maybe wasn't as bad as we all thought. There was a lot of care and attention of detail put into these tracks, and that's maybe something that, you know, fans overlook. Yeah, I think um, an album like this is proof positive that a band should never try to appease its critics. Um, because you set that up in the introduction, that um, they, they, they tried to please the fans, and now they're, they wanted to try and please the critics by by making a statement saying we can write great music we are great musicians and it just bombed on them yeah that's you know that's probably never a good idea to try and you know try and say we're going to show the critics um uh i i wholeheartedly agree that was probably an error in their judgment um you know uh you know but the bottom line kiss uh paul and gene you know they're not the best musicians they're competent musicians um you know, uh, but they're not, they're not virtuosos. So, um, I think this album is definitely them going out of their comfort zone, especially Paul Stanley. I mean, let's take some of Paul's songs on the album, just a boy, Odyssey, um, the oath. I mean, Paul is singing very differently on those tracks compared to, you know, four or five years prior. Um, you know, and just a boy, he's hitting falsetto, um, which is the same voice he's kind of using in the oath. Uh, in places. Odyssey, I mean, that track is so peculiar and so strange. I think you have Paul, it's almost like a, a Broadway-esque type of track. Uh, you know, Paul is really singing in an operatic manner on that song. So 
he really was going outside of his comfort zone on that. Gene, as we talked about, you know, Gene is very, he's, there's more to Gene than meets the, the eye or ears in this case. So I think, you know, the material on the album um, was all in Gene's wheelhouse. Um, but, you know, the band definitely, make no, no bones about it, really tried to stretch and, and get out of their comfort zone. And whether or not they were successful uh, on, you know, a commercial level, I think has been decided, you know, on an artistic level, you know, I, I think that's for people to kind of um, uh, give their own spin on. Yeah, well, the album that came after that, Creatures of the Night, is probably my favorite, Chris Record. Yeah, and, uh, you know, uh, I, I forget who said it, it might have been Paul who said it, you know, without the Elder, you might not get Creatures of the Night. So there's always, there's a rhyme or reason um, to, to things. So, you know, the elder, if anything, uh, maybe made Paul and Jean look in the mirror and say, you know what, let's really, you know, let's really get back to, to, to basics, if you will. And they certainly did that with Creatures. I agree. That's, you know, one of my favorite Kiss albums as well. Um, it's a splendid album um, from start to finish. And, um, you know, who knows, without the elder, uh, maybe the cre- Creatures that we all know and love wouldn't have been, um, uh, wouldn't have materialized. Yeah, I mean, definitely change of pace from uh from the elder that's for damn sure just like same band are we sure about this although really kind of yeah. the same band but you know <laughs> it's fascinating guys i mean if you think about it i mean look from 79 to to 82 you have dynasty unmasked the elder and then creatures i mean that's such such a a, a wide-ranging uh batch of material i mean they're just all over the map there <laughs> yeah, yeah. now when writing the book when you got to the end of it was was the one thing that sticks out where you where you actually learned something where you went wow I did not realize that at all. Boy, boy. Um, well, um, that's a good question. I, I think um, again for me the revelations uh, in Bob's letter were eye opening to me to to see him have a kind of a different take on the album after after listening to it. Um, the um, revelations about the spoken word element, being able to confirm those, those were uh, really, you know, riveting details. We weren't able to confirm everything, but we got a lot of information that really wasn't out there. Um, and with the spoken word element, just, you know, actually getting to speak to Christopher Makepeace, you know, that was that was a huge deal because he's never given an interview of any sorts on the album. Um you know, some of the perspectives from the label, again, you know, uh, uh, Jerry Jaffe, Chip Taylor, uh, Boss Hartong, some of the things that they um, they shared in their interviews um, regarding the label side of the equation were certainly eye-openers. And I just remember when we got those interviews and speaking with Julian, it was like, wow, we got we got some real gold here. You know, these are perspectives that have really never been documented for the elder. I mean, for so long, we've just kind of gotten, you know, Paul and Gene and maybe Ace here or there will say something about it. And Bob, maybe here or there when he's interviewed, but all of these other perspectives really just have not, you know, come to the forefront. So, um, it's really hard for me to, to kind of hone in on specific tidbits, but again, in general, um, uh, you know, a majority of these interviews, uh, I think will provide some, some riveting details for those who who really you know are looking for that type of detail on this album. Yeah. So, Tim, what sort of um, feedback have you gotten so far? Has it been mostly positive? It, you know, it has been. Uh, you know, we, we're really uh, uh, you know uh, fortunate. I think uh, a lot of the reviews on sites like Amazon and iTunes have been really 
really positive. Um, you know, there's been some criticism, and, you know, that's to be expected. I think one of the criticisms is like, oh, it's over 500 pages. You know, do we really need 500 pages on the elder? <laughs> that sort of thing. Um, well, I'll be, but, Tim, uh, I'll be honest with you. When I got, when, when you sent it to me and I opened it, I went, wow, 500 pages on the elder. Yeah. I, I, was, I, was, I had the same reaction. I was like, holy crap. Yeah, it's like, come on, 500 pages. I, you know, I get that. But uh, again, guys, our mission was we're, we're going we're going long on this. So it was by design. Um, so we've gotten some really good feedback on the album, uh, or excuse me, on the book. Um, this is the second book that Julie and I have, have undertaken. Um, not sure if you guys are aware, but we did a book on the 1978 solo albums that's very similar in, in feel. Um, you know, long-form interviews and features about all four of the 78 solo albums. So um, that one has been fairly well received as well. Um, so as long the feedback is 500 been... pages of Peter's album because that. Would be... <laughs> <laughs> no, no, no. Yeah, can you imagine? Um, yeah, no. Peter's album, it's included in there, so you'll get a kind of a sense of why that album went in that direction. But uh, yeah, it's all four of the um, of the solo albums, and again, the same kind of format. So, you know, we talked to you know we have some great interviews in there with Eddie Kramer and uh, Jeff Glixman, who was the co-producer on Paul's album. So um, some really cool stuff. But yeah, the book has been really well received by by those. You know, there's a lot of Kiss books out there. You know, I probably don't have to tell um, you guys. I mean, there's a book for for you know, there's the biographies on the band, and Julian has written a lot of books. So there's a lot of stuff out there. Uh, so we were really, you know, going at uh, a niche thing. I think here with the Elder. I mean, there isn't uh, a book that has really tried to examine the album like this. So um, we think we really fulfilled that gap in the in the Kiss library, if you will. Yeah, yeah, it is interesting though too. You know, when this album comes out and kind of, you know, you go back in time as to what was happening with, um, you know, everything that was like right after Alive 2, the solo albums. And remember, there's that core demographic of fans that were like kids where all of a sudden, you know, yeah. small kids buying the merchandise stream and all of that stuff. Yep. I think definitely, you know, um, the Dynasty fed into that audience and Unmasked definitely fed into that audience right down to the cover art and everything. And yeah. you kind of wonder if, you know, this was like Kiss trying to figure out, okay, w let's get back to our core audi audience and then just really misstepping what their core audience wanted. And they get it right with with uh, Creatures of the Night, but they just really just fall into themselves in this one. Yeah, no, that's that's a great, uh, fantastic point. I tell you, you know, it should be mentioned um, that, uh, and this is uh, mentioned in the book, that uh, uh, Kiss's initial design in 1981 was to make a hard rock album. Whether or not it would have been, you know, Creatures, you know, we obviously don't know. But the thought was, let's make a traditional Kiss hard rock album. They went into the studio, actually Ace's studio in Wilton, Connecticut, his home studio, and started to bang out some tracks in early 81. And all the while, the label is commiserating and talking with uh, the band in Bill of Coin. And the thought was, you know, we really need to make a statement album. So that's when producers are bandied about and various names are put forth. And it's ultimately decided, let's get back with Bob Ezrin. So um, Bob and the band get together, I think it was around March of 81. And they actually uh, do some rehearsals to, you know, listen to some of the material that the band has come up with. And originally, they were going to go in a hard rock direction. And, you know, at one of the sessions, things kind of stopped on a dime. And I believe it was Gene who, at the time, was, you know, dating Diana Ross and trying to kind of infiltrate the Hollywood scene. Um, you know, Gene, I guess, had an idea for a, a film script. And it was kind of the underlying premise of The Elder, you know, when the... Uh, 
when the world was, was old, they were already young, that sort of thing. And, you know, he showed that to Bob and Bob latched on to it to me and he said, this is great. We should do a concept album around this. And that's when the wheels started turning in the other direction and the hard rock album was kind of left in the dust. So it's just interesting, interesting for KISS fans to note. It's, you know, the band was, with all intentions, going to deliver a hard rock album in 1981, but it just didn't come to pass. So how that would have been received by the core fan demographic, you know, that's fascinating to really think about that. You know, would uh, KISS fans such as yourself done a double take and, you know, after Unmasked, and said, wow, you know, here's Kiss with some, some, some rocking material. Would that have changed things? You know, it's interesting to, to speculate. Mm. Yeah, definitely. So, so, Tim, be honest. How often do you spin The Elder? I haven't done it in a while because I, 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 I think I had Elder Overload for a few years. <laughs> uh, the book, you know, like we mentioned, the book goes back, you know, the research to 2012. So I've listened to the album um, countless times. I, you know, full disclosure, I do love the album. I'm a fan of the album, um, you know, uh, so there's that. But, yeah, I haven't spun it fairly recently, so I'm probably due for that. <laughs> um, but, um, you know, I get, uh, outside of the book cycle, you know, it's something that I'll, I'll put on once in a while. Um, and interestingly enough, it's one of those Kiss albums that I think for me, it's like it demands that I have to listen to it from front to back, um, you know, uh, I, sometimes I'll make playlists with various Kiss tracks on it and whatnot, but uh, for whatever reason with The Elder, it's like something that I'll want to put on start to finish. Mm, uh, yeah. Why that is, who knows. What's <laughs> interesting, too, on this is that cause I, I've I've only ever had the original vinyl. I actually pulled the vinyl out for Richie today, and, um, you know, the fact oh, that cool. it ends in I, and, like, I really can't listen to any of the rest of the album except for that one song. The thing is, is that song is almost like an intro to creatures it really has that creatures feel to it like i don't know if it's just the last song they did or what but it it definitely has more of that the, the gang vocals and that tempo and just yeah. eq all of it. it's it's very creatures like for that one song yeah that's it you know that's interesting um it's certainly one of the more up-tempo and i think maybe kiss-like tracks if you really think about it i the message that's very kiss-like kiss mm -hmm. you know whether it's Shout It Out Loud or, you know, uh, some of the other type of tracks that have that type of theme, you know, uh, it's got a very um, communal sense to it. Um, so um, uh, that's an interesting perspective. Um, I, you know, that's a pretty cool track. Uh, um, you know, if not for the reason of Paul and Gene trading off vocals, again, similar to Shout It Out Loud, you know, it's kind of cool uh, to have Paul and Gene trading off vocals on a tune. Yeah, it's just, you know, it's almost like you could take that one and you could chuck it on Creatures and nobody would know the difference. It's just, I don't know, just my take on it. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yes. Yeah, so, so, Tim, final question for me before we let you go. Um, have you ever thought of doing a book on one of the non-makeup ear albums like Lick It Up or maybe that era? Because the band more or less ignore that now and like Bruce Kulik is the only flag flag bearer really for that era and I'd love to read a book like the the one you did on The Elder about Lick It Up or one of the, or Revenge or something yeah. like that uh, well that's a, 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 a great question like I said Julie and I now have done two books um, we've tossed ideas around so it's possible uh, for me um I think the natural sequel to this, The Elder, is a book that uh, picks up where it left off and does creatures mm -hmm. into Lick It Up. Because, again, there you have the transition of the Creatures album, you know, the reaction from The Elder, but that's also the final, um, you know, makeup era album. Right. So then you segue into Lick It Up, which is kind of a rebirth of the band. So 
I think that would be a fascinating book um, uh, to done, be done in this style. Um, the one thing I will say is that for that book, a book of that nature, to, to see the light of day, obviously you have to um, uh, get the perspective of one Michael James Jackson, who was the producer on both of those albums. So um, that would be paramount um, to doing, doing a book uh, on those uh, particular albums. Um, Michael has done interviews uh, in the past, but he's been kind of uh, scarce of, of late. So um, something like that would definitely be predicated on on getting Michael James Jackson. And then, uh, you know, <laughs> there's the enigma of Vinnie Vincent. That would probably never happen, but uh, boy, of, there's one. Best of luck there, Tim. You, you, you're, there's a line of people <laughs> looking for him, and you're, you're probably in I the back say, of the... <laughs> exactly. I, you know, whether or not that guy would ever, you know, even see the light of day ever again is is probably the chances of that are probably remote. But uh, boy, Vinny's contributions on those albums, you know, again, with the Kiss community, it's all across the board. You have a lot of people who just really don't care for Vinny Vincent and people who think he's, you know, was an integral part. I tend to fall in the latter camp. I think, you know, as a result of the elder, Gene and Paul were kind of dusting themselves off and they needed some creative help and you know Vinny just happened to to be in that right place at the right time and without Vinny Vincent you know I I try to think about the material that you know Kiss would have came up for Creatures and Lick It Up I mean he wrote co-wrote eight of the ten songs on Lick It Up and he co-wrote three of the tracks on on Creatures in addition to playing on both albums so um yeah what would have happened without Vinnie Vincent? That's another interesting thing to think about. Yeah, yeah. but, I mean, but uh, again, it's true though because oh, I mean, I'm a, I'm a big Ace guy. I mean, that's growing up. He was a big influence. You know, you Ace, you Joe Perry, all that. But I yeah. think that's one thing that Vinnie brought in was kind of a new, fresh way of playing. It's like you can only do so many albums of you know pentatonic blues boxes, and and Vinnie just kind of changed it up. And I, I think it it did lend itself to a new marketplace and and uh, a new way that people were expecting music to sound. Absolutely. I agree a hundred percent. And I tell you, one of the things that, you know, kind of irks me, you know, as a, as a kiss fan is you'll see a lot of uh, fans and even Paul and Gene, you know, criticize, uh, Vinny's playing, you know, as being too fast, et cetera. But let's be honest at the time, guitar playing was changing. You had Randy Rhodes, um, obviously Van Halen, that whole school, Ingve Malmsteen was coming up. I mean, through the, the early to mid eighties, shred was in vogue and Vinny was very comfortable in that style. Um, so the thought to freshen up the, the kiss songs live and, and kind of Vinny give his own spin on the solos. Sure. He took a lot of liberties, but uh, you know, if Paul and Gene really didn't want him to, to play like that, I, I, I'd like to think they probably could have, have done something about it. So I think to criticize Vinny, um, you know, for the way he played, I mean, yeah, you know, obviously not everyone's going to like it, but, um, it's, it's certainly Vinny put his own spin on, on the songs and it was really more in tune with, you know, a rock guitar at the time. So I think it's hard to fault him for that, you know? Right. And he didn't do it all the time either, because I mean, I mean, the, you know, when Lick It Up came out and they, you know, actually had his face on the album and people really knew this was the guy on the album. The, the fact yeah. that the leadoff single is Lick It Up. I mean, you couldn't have gotten a more basic solo from anybody than that. So he could definitely have exactly. a too, right? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, you know, uh, interesting enough, Vinny. You know, Vinny could play very melodically, as <laughs> we're kind of getting into a tangent. But uh, um, you know, you have "Lick It Up," and then you have something like "I Love It Loud," which you know, the solos of that is just unison bends. I mean, um, and you know, some of that was probably by design. I'm sure you know, Paul and Gene maybe coaxed 
Vinny in some ways. Um, but the scope of Vinny's talents, I mean, he could have played anything. I mean, if you listen to some of his stuff before he was in Kiss, you know, with a, a group called Treasure, um, you know, some of the solos on that album are very Jeff Beckish in quality. Um, so Vinny had a lot of tricks up his sleeve, and it just so happened, again, in the early 80s, you know, fast guitar playing was just you know it was coming up and very popular and and you know Vinny was able to 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 dabble into it and certainly with the invasion he kind of he, he turned everything up a, a hundred notches or so <laughs> yeah the, the the back cover photograph of the band on all systems go was like and even the debut album was like yeah holy crap <laughs> wow yeah it's like whoa these guys are <laughs> especially yeah that debut album it's like wow you look at that 30 years later it's like geez <laughs> yeah they, they overdid it a little bit huh <laughs> yeah the, the one thing i will say though before i let you go about, about Vinny is when you look at 80s guitar players like jakey lee has come back with red dragon cartel this yeah. john sykes has threatened to come back he's another big 80s guy uh, vito brado from white line has, has disappeared and um, I think Vinny is the, the one big name that now is in the news for really all the wrong reasons. And you'd think he'd be motivated to say, hang on a second, I was actually, I'm actually a really good guitar player and try and get that part of himself in the news. Yeah, I tell you, um, I, I couldn't agree more. Um, you mentioned some great guitar players. I love Vito Brada, by the way. Um, uh, you would think that Vinny, uh, such a talented guy, would just be able to resurface at some point, and you know whether it's release archival material. Like you know, he had an album after All Systems Go called Guitars from Hell that was, you know, in the works, and I think you know uh, finished to some degree, but that's just never really officially seen the light of day. Uh, you know, it's it's really it's one for the ages as to why he just hasn't materialized. And like you said, he's you know was in the news a few years back for uh, some unfortunate reasons um so whether or not we're going to ever hear from that guy uh, again it just I, I don't know that it looks very good um you know you have people like eddie trunk who obviously would be chomping at the bit to, to get an interview and um you know i'm sure you guys would love to as well as i know i would too but um uh boy it just doesn't seem like it's in the cards um but like you said someone like jakey lee who you know had fallen kind of off the face of the earth although it seemed um, he's come back, so um, you know who knows. Maybe there's a surprise down the line. But I, um, it just seems weird, Tim, that you've all these people that have even Gene and Paul that bashed the guy in public, and he just never wants to respond. Yeah, yeah. You know, and then for all the bashes, you know, if you read between the lines, uh, there was a Guitar World feature a couple years back where the Paul and Gene basically went through the, the, the band's history and talked about the guitar players and what they brought to the band and their style. They they had some praise for Vinny. You know, uh, 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 Gene is, I think, heralded him as probably the most talented guitarist that was ever in the band. And Paul mentioned something about how, you know, he was such a well-rounded player, um, um, but you're right. I, a lot of the comments on Vinny, you know, have been on the negative side. And if anything, you'd think that would want to make, you know, um, the one who's being offended in this case, Vinny kind of stand up and, and, and retort, but, uh, he just really hasn't. Um, yeah. so, uh, whether we'll see that too, they, they, uh, they definitely bash Mark Chain John in that feature though. I remember that one. <laughs> well, I tell you, you know, again, Kiss fans have their varying opinions. I, you know, I love that whole school of guitar playing. So I love Animalize, and and I thought, you know, Mark St. John again, he did the job he was contracted to. I mean, yeah. 
I'm sure. I mean, that, that's the way. That's the direction Kiss was going at the time. I mean, you know, sure, they could have made a '70s sounding Kiss album, maybe, but that just wasn't in vogue or uh, the the direction that they wanted. So, oh, yeah. Mark delivered. If you think about it, Mark delivered what they wanted. Okay. Um, so, I. I think to criticize Mark, that was one of the, the, the kind of things that kind of took me aback. I, I just, you know, I was kind of confused. Um, it's a bit cheap, too, because he can't respond. He's dead. He can't respond. He's yeah, dead. absolutely. <laughs> yeah, it's, you know, it's it's really too bad. And, uh, you know, think about it. If you think about Mark St. John, you know, with all the things that have been said about him, I think a variety of them, a majority of them have been negative from Paul and Gene's standpoint. It just begs the question, why did they hire the guy? I mean... <laughs> Why would you go through hiring someone if you know you know you don't like his playing uh, or if he was playing too fast or like an angry bee? It's just you know Paul and Gene you know love it love the music but sometimes some of the things they say I just have to scratch my head you know. Hmm. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, well, I have to tell you, I think I told Richie this. I you know I've listened to the show before. I'm a you know I have uh, uh, on my uh, iPhone. You're definitely one of the uh, podcasts that I subscribe to. Uh, one of my favorite episodes. Uh, you know, it was a, probably a while back, but you guys had Red Beach on. Oh yeah, you know? yeah, fantastic. Huge, huge Red Beach. Huge Red Beach fan and winger fan, and um, that was a cool episode. So, yeah. and I know you guys. There was a Bob Rock episode. So, mm -hmm. I def definitely have listened and uh, really enjoy what you guys do. Yeah. Yeah. So, so, are you working on a book now? Do you have something in the works? Nothing, uh, nothing concrete. Again, there's some ideas on the table, but uh, boy, um, you'd be surprised. You know, Julian and I uh, kind of did this all in house. You know, Julian kind of takes care of the publishing side, so. Um, it's it's an endeavor to do this. We did this all independently, um, so uh, it's really challenging. So um, you know, the book came out in September, so um, still fairly new. But uh, uh, just have some ideas at this point. Um, you know, again, the the creatures lick it up book is an idea, um, but um, I think I'm going to give it to the rest of the year and then kind of resurface early in the year and and kind of decide um, you know if there's a direction that I want to go in. Um, so. Um, T TBD, I guess. Awesome. Well, we will certainly be looking out for whatever else, uh, whatever else comes out next, and uh, hopefully uh, get you back on, and uh, also let everybody else know about it right here on Focus on Metal. Well, I greatly appreciate the time, guys. It's been a lot of fun talking to you. Yeah, uh, you know, Richie's been saying about wanting to get you on now for I don't know, probably about a month and a half, two months. But yeah, uh, I've I've been over, <laughs> I've been in Ireland and I've, things happened and you know yeah. life. But it's but it's <laughs> hey hey that on. little thing called life yeah. exactly right. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, there's kiss, there's kiss, and then there's life. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> well put, well put. Awesome. Well, great. I'm glad you were able to take some time this afternoon. Uh, talk all about the book and uh, it's been great talking with you yeah seriously guys i really appreciate it thanks again hey, all right no problem, tim have a good rest of the day all right you too take okay. care guys right okay. bye all right there you go uh talk with tim mcfate and uh hope you guys enjoyed that yeah um question for you uh pick another album kiss album that you'd like to see a book on there's been enough on destroyer now there's one on the elder do you do you have any one album other than that that you'd like to see it like just one album now um, I don't know. Um, maybe like rock and roll over. Why? Why that one? I was recorded a little bit different, and uh, that's the just, one with Eddie Kramer and uh, Theater, wasn't it? They were, yeah, yeah. After, and, that's uh, the one after US Destroyer, Theater. isn't it? Um, or is it after Love Gun? It's after Love Gun, I think. Um, but that was just, yeah, just kind of an interesting sounding album, and um, I don't know, maybe that one. Yeah. Uh, I'd love to hear uh, Creatures of the Night 
definitely. Because it's after that. Yeah, yeah. And it doesn't have uh, Ace on it. No. And it's a fucking great album. Although the vinyl that I have has Ace on the cover. No, I know. <laughs> you remember that came out and they had uh, on the CD, they had uh, they had Bruce and Eric and, and Gene and Paul. I had the CD and that was on the cover. It wasn't the actual cover with them in the makeup. Uh-huh. It actually came out with the, the, the four of them. Yeah, yeah, I've got the no, vinyl. The non-makeup one, the yeah. And then when they brought out the CD after that, they put the original cover on it. Hmm. That, that's a great album cover too. But that's a fucking stonking, uh, stonking great album. Like the, the set list they did recently, they did Creatures and they do I Love It Loud. Mm-hmm. They, I, think they did, um, I think they did Rock and Roll Hell. Um, that's the one album I think that they play multiple tracks on still other than the first yeah. four. The thing is, though, is as you go along and you're getting deeper in, I think you're less and less likely to hear the story because, you know, even on Destroyer, Bob's bringing folks in, mm. you know, and, uh, you know, even like even on side four of Alive 2, I mean, we get Bob Kulik on there and things like All-American Man and stuff, even though it sounds like it's ace, you know, it's it's uh, so, you know, I mean, Psycho Circus, who the who played on Psycho Circus? There's one, you know? there's one track on the box set that they break down who plays on it. There's one Kiss song on it, and Paul's the only Kiss member on it. The, yeah. the rest of them are studio musicians. Yeah. <laughs> so it's like, you know, for one, how much of a book is that? And then two, you know, how much is this, you know, trying to willing to get that out as well. So mm. I, yeah, I don't, I just think anything like that, it's just going to be tougher and tougher the further you go into the catalog and kind of, people kind of just doing their own thing and, and bringing stuff in. So yeah. I don't know. Speaking of books, um, before we go, uh, Sebastian Vox books had to coming out. Huh? 18 and life yeah. on Skid Row. And it's getting pretty good reviews. It's about 500 pages. Mm. Um, should be an interesting read. I might pick it up. Yeah. And, uh, I, I, just, I don't know if it's 500 pages of a bitching session, <laughs> <laughs> but, um, it's supposed to be a uh, pretty eye opening of it. You're supposed yeah. to, you know, he puts the not, he puts the boot in a little bit. Yeah, it's not one of these. Um, everything was great <laughs> because you know damn well everything wasn't fucking great. Yeah, right. Um, that you know that breakup with those guys was uh, wasn't pretty, and yeah. it's it's still, you right. know, it's still ugly because right. you think of all the bands from that era who sold millions of albums that they would have buried the hatchet and got back together because right. the, the money would have been there and. Like Skid Row, they've, they've done albums with Johnny Solinger. Yeah. They've done, they've went out with Tony Harnell, who's gone now. And I can't think of the, the guy they have now. I think he used to sing with Dragon Force. Hmm. And now they're talking about doing new music with him. And Sebastian is saying that the management are talking, yeah. you know, to Skid Row. His management is talking to Skid Row's management. And I'm thinking, you know what? It's not, it's never, I don't think that's, that's yeah. one band I don't think that they're never going to play a show. Yeah. I think a lot of the other bands, it was like, it was just inevitable. I don't think it's inevitable with them. I think there's too much. You're probably right. There's too much wa- yeah. you know, water under a bridge. Too much bad blood there between, between you know, certain members of the band sure. and Sebastian. And I'm sure there's not enough cash being ponied up. It's not like a docking thing. Yeah, how big would they be if they if they if they toured? Would they, House of Blues? Would they be bigger than House of Blues? House of Blues, maybe. That'd be not worth it. Would they fill it? Probably not. I don't think so. Yeah. See, that's the you know. Me, they got Sebastian back in the band, and you know he he won the sizable chunk of change. Mm-hmm. And I think now Snake, I think is a, a bit of manager. I think he works with Doc McGee. Hmm. 
and then Rachel and who's the other guy? Oh, Dave, Rachel Volan, Snake, and God damn it, brain fart. I can't remember. Yeah, and whoever's drumming with them these days, you know, maybe they're happy doing what they're doing, but yeah. I've heard some shows they have a decent crowd and other shows they've got 10 people. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> so, you know, if, if, if they get paid and they're happy doing it, yeah, go for it. But that, yeah, that's an interesting book that's come out now. And the other one that's on the way is um, Mick Wall's book on Guns N' Roses. Mm. That should be an interesting read because he's got a history. Sure. Yeah. You know, he's, yeah. Uh, he's actually named and get in the ring. Yeah. And he caused uh, all that shit with, uh, with his... He did the interview with Axel about Vince Neil uh-huh. and you know wanting to bring him down an alley and punch him, <laughs> and then Axel's management got onto him and you know threatened him. Yeah. So there's a history there. So that you mix all this does a good book. So. Yeah. Yeah. He doesn't pull any punches. So yeah. Yeah. Here I could talk all night, but yeah, you know, we can't. Right. <laughs> so, uh, anyways, you know, make sure you uh, go out, pick up the book, give it a chance, and uh, obviously he's got the other one that he did with Julian on uh, the Four Soul albums as well. But uh, that's it for this week. Yeah. Yeah, Kiss Show. Yeah, it's weird, huh? No. <laughs> we talk We talk about him sometimes. A little bit, but, but not like this, so, yeah. Yeah, I enjoyed it. Right. I really enjoyed talking with Tim. Yeah. You know, because I am, I am, we are Kiss fans. We just don't do many Kiss shows. So, like I said, that'll do it for this week. And uh, this is Scott. Richie. And uh, saying, have yourselves a good metal week. And until we talk to you again, remember... Focus on metal! Everything else is insignificant. Still here? It's over. Go home.